Let's start that all over again. Thank you, praise team. Thank you, Daniel. And thank you, uh, Lauren, for singing that song for us. It's funny, I was thinking of the opening question I wanted to start with this morning. Uh, and, and the question is this. Have you ever been chosen to do something that left you asking the question, why me? And I was thinking of Lauren when I asked her, would you be willing to sing, Mary, did you know? And she didn't quite say, why me? It was kind of, why me? Uh, but anyways, have you ever been chosen to do something that's left you asking that question? Why me? Why, why would I be chosen? Or have you ever had something so amazing happen in your life uh, that totally blew your mind? And it could be that uh, you got a... a an unexpected phone call and someone offered you a job, uh, or maybe that's uh, the events of, of your proposal for, for marriage. Uh, I was sharing with someone this week when I was in high school. Our high school rugby team was really good. In, in grade 12, we won the Scarborough Championships. We won the Ontario Championships. Uh, but I got an unexpected phone call, and it was a phone call from someone who represented an elite first division Scottish rugby team who was touring through Canada uh, and one of their position players got injured and they called me out of the blue and asked if I would tour with them, uh, which was just a huge uh, unexpected phone call uh, for me. And, you know, there's a word in the, the English language that describes those kind of things. And it's the word wonder. Uh, the word wonder at its very essence describes those things, those events that overwhelm our mind, that remind us that, that we're just finite. We can only process things on a certain level. That the word wonder at its, at its very essence really is reserved for those things that we would label uh, as beyond explanation, uh, beyond our wildest expectation. That's the word wonder. Unfortunately, the word wonder has kind of lost a bit of its wonderfulness in our contemporary usage of the word. Uh, we describe bread with the word wonder. We describe undergarments with the word wonder. Uh, we describe or label songwriters or bands that have one big hit as one hit wonders. And so we've really watered down the meaning of the word wonder. And so I would agree with, with some of those people who would argue that the word wonder really should be reserved for things that have to do with the realm of God. And uh, there's, a, there's a hymn uh, that my father's trio used to sing. So every time I even think of the words, uh, it was my dad's solo in the song, and I can just hear the, the, the uh, sound of my dad's voice. Uh, and he, that song, and some of you, you're going you're gonna to be humming the song for the rest of the day, some of you, so I will warn you ahead of time. But it's that song that goes, there's the wonder of sunset at evening, there's the wonder of sunrise I see, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. The wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, to think that God loves me. And think about it. God loves me. Why would God love me? I know that there are 
There are moments in my life when I'm not really that lovable. And yet God loves me. Why would a perfect, holy, almighty God love me? Wonder. And why would God love me and why would God love you the way that he has chosen to love you? By sending his son to die on a cross. Wonder. And the greatest expression of God's love to us is in the giving of his son, Jesus. So it's quite appropriate at Christmas time for us to talk of the, the mystery and the wonder of Christmas. Because trying to wrap our mind around God's miraculous intervention into this world and for him choosing to do what he did and why he chose to do what he did is beyond comprehension. It's beyond explanation. It's overwhelming. And you know, if there's one character in the Christmas story that has the greatest cause for wonder more than any other character. I think it's Mary, the mother of Jesus. What's her cause for wonder? And what can we learn as, as we try to understand and to feel and see her wonder at the Christmas story? And what can we learn from it? Last week we began a series, and I have to correct myself, and Jordan was trying to put it into my mind even two minutes before I came up, that uh, last week I kept saying, windows on heaven, when our series is actually windows on Christmas. And Allison, yet last Sunday afternoon, was telling me, Brent, you kept mixing up Christmas and heaven. And I couldn't understand how in the world I could have made that uh, mix-up of words. And then when Ben was kidding me on Friday about it, I realized, okay, I was calling it the windows of heaven and not the windows of Christmas. And I couldn't understand why I saved last week's message on my computer. And when I was looking it up for something, it was under windows uh, of heaven. <laughs> so now it all makes sense. And so when I say windows of heaven, I really mean windows of Christmas. And because Christmas is kind of a real heavenly thing, it's really not a mistake. So you guys just have to catch up to how my brain <laughs> is operating this morning. But we began the series last week, and I began with a, a quote from a book that's kind of inspired me for this series for, for December. And Bill Crowder in that book writes, Life is all about perspective, and our own perceptions can be clarified and enriched by seeing life's events through a number of different windows. The more familiar something is, the, vo the more valuable these windows can become. A fresh look, a different angle, can revolutionize our appreciation of truth that might be in danger of growing stale and tired. And I shared with you last week and through some of the comments that, that we heard from others that, that I, I understand the danger of this whole Christmas season becoming stale and tired and bothersome and just a time of busyness. And I need that fresh perspective. And I think some of you agreed that you need that fresh perspective as well. And what's really handy is that when we look at the familiar Christmas account that we find in, in Luke 1 and 2, uh, we can find those fresh perspectives. Uh, we can look through the windows that the different characters that are in the Christmas story uh, give us into their perspective on the Christmas event. 
Uh, and we can feel the things that they felt. And we can allow ourselves to see the, the nativity story uh, the way that they saw it. And, and we can learn from them. And so last week we saw the angel's window on Christmas, which was a window of glory. And we saw how the angels, they beheld what took place that first Christmas morning as something so beautiful, so glorious, that it compelled them to adore. It, it captivated their mind. And so we looked at some of the reasons why the angels, all they could do in response, or everything that they could do in response, was to praise God. They knew what was taking place to a certain extent. They knew of sin. They knew of the promise of a Savior. They knew of the, the, the uh, imperfect sacrificial system of the Old Testament. They knew who the baby was that was on Mary's lap. They knew that he was the Savior who had been promised. That he was the, the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. He was, he was the King of Kings. He was going to be the perfect High Priest. He was the great prophet. And he was Lord. He was legitimately sovereign. Jesus as Lord, divinely speaking, tells us that he is God. And the angels were amazed at the humility and the grace and the mercy of God's plan of salvation uh, unfolding right before their very eyes. And they knew the results. They knew that in heaven, God was being glorified. And they, they knew on earth, salvation, peace was possible. Man, now could, man and woman could have peace with God. And through that peace with God, they could, if they chose, experience peace between each other. This week, I want to continue, and we want to look at Mary's window on Christmas. <laughs> and it's a, it's a window of wonder. And what is it that caused Mary to wonder? And what can we learn from it? Well, this morning, I want to just give you two causes. And I'm going to kind of continue next week with Mary, and then we're going to kind of look through a double window, and we're going to look through Joseph's window as well, and then we're going to conclude next week by looking at it together. But, but for this week, let's begin looking through Mary's window. So if you've got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. And I want to look at the first cause of Mary's wonder. And we're look at Luke 1, verse 26 and following. Okay, so and the first cause of wonder is simply this. Well, simply is probably not a very good word. It's this. Mary, God has a task for you. Mary's first cause of wonder is this. She's being invited to participate in the extraordinary. Let's read. Start at verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Let's stop here for a moment. Now, I think we can, we can fly through the Christmas readings. 
And we gloss over a lot of the details that aren't uh, necessarily really clear for us to see. And we go so fast, we don't even stop to ask ourselves some, some necessary questions. And the answers might not be plainly for us to see, but we can probably imagine what the answers might be. And, and the first question that we got to ask, who is Mary? What do we know about Mary? If you went to Matthew and his gospel, you find out very little about Mary. Luke tells us a little bit more. And what we find out from Luke uh, is that Mary's father's name was Eli. Uh, Mary had a sister named Salome. Mary had a relative, we're not explaining what the relationship was, but she has a relative named Elizabeth, who we've already read about. We know that Mary was from a poor family. And she would have been a devout believer in God. And Mary was young. Mary most likely was as young as 12 years old and would have been as old as 19. So let's just say she was 16. And Mary was in love. We, especially as guys, we kind of gloss over that part of the story. But there was a marriage on the way. And as Luke introduces us to Mary in this passage, there's two things he wants us to understand. Very important to the story. The first thing is, Mary is a virgin. And the word that Luke uses from the Greek to say that Mary is a virgin leaves no room for doubt as to what he means. Mary is of a marriageable age. And she's had no sexual relations with a man. She was a virgin. The second thing he wants us to understand is that love is in the air. There's romance happening here. There's a wedding coming up. Mary is pledged to Joseph. And what pledged meant back then is that Mary had formally agreed to marry Joseph. But the wedding hadn't taken place. And they had not consummated their marriage union. Typically, there would be a six-month to 12-month period between the pledge and the wedding ceremony. During that time, uh, it would be quite appropriate to refer to Joseph and Mary as husband and wife. It would be appropriate to refer to them as married. But they still live separate from each other. And they had no sexual relationships with each other. And it wasn't until the wedding day where they would consummate their marriage that they then would live together. And so following the custom of the day, Mary would have lived at home with her folks and Joseph would have lived at home with his folks until their wedding day. And it's against that backdrop, and it's so important for us to understand, it's against that backdrop the events that we're going to read about take place. Mary's a young teenage girl from a poor family. Ordinary, anonymous, unknown Mary. And she's in love. And she's looking forward to life with Joseph. She's planning her, her big day. Life is happy and life is exciting. 
And then God breaks in to Mary's world. And he's going to ask her to do something that is so shocking, that is so extraordinary, that it makes it, from a human perspective, almost impossible to believe. And Mary's life is never going to be the same again. Let's keep reading. Verse 28. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. You ever wonder what Mary was doing when Gabriel showed up? She was living at home, so maybe she was off walking out the front door to go get some water from the well, or maybe she was helping her mom uh, pick some vegetables out of the garden. Maybe she was sitting under a tree dreaming of her wedding to come, doing some plans in her little slate. And all of a sudden, there's someone coming to the front door. And this person says, hi. You found favor with God, and God is with you. What would you think of someone coming to your front door like that? You know, okay, it's another door-to-door salesperson. I've never heard that greeting before, but they'll they'll stoop to nothing to get my attention. What's what's this guy trying to sell? You know, latest... Camel's saddle, or I don't know what they would be selling a, a Torah encyclopedia. What is this guy doing? But there's something that looks different about him. And so Gabriel says, Greetings. Hello. You found favor with God. God is with you. And it, it says that Mary had what I think is a pretty appropriate response. It says she was troubled or she was perplexed. And that she wondered or she pondered what it is, what it was that this person standing before her was saying. The word pondered or wondered literally means she was having a dialogue with herself. Who is this? Why is he here? Am I really seeing what I think I'm seeing? Is this a hoax? Is someone just trying to sell me something? And Gabriel obviously could sense what's taking place. And so Gabriel continues. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. And you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Don't forget this is a young, ordinary peasant girl, maybe 15, 16 years old, looking forward to a simple but lovely life with her soon-to-be husband, Joseph. And now here's an angel standing before her, telling her not to be afraid. You found favor with God. God God has chosen you for a very extraordinary task. You're going to have a child. And not going to be just any ordinary child. Your child is going to be the son of God. What better word to describe what Mary must have been experiencing than wonder? 
and for Mary and for those of us who are looking through Mary's window onto Christmas. Welcome to the world of God using ordinary people to do extraordinary things for his glory and to advance his plan. And I think we often overlook this aspect of the story. Mary was just an ordinary young Jewish girl being asked to do something extraordinary for God. It's it's hard to believe. It's hard to grasp. That's what makes it a wonder that God would be calling such an ordinary girl to be doing such an extraordinary thing. I think if we're honest, some of us anyways would would admit that we don't really expect that God's going to call someone like us to do something extraordinary for him. I think we're much more comfortable with this equation. God uses extraordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses super Christians to do his extraordinary work. And I think that's where a lot of us have landed because because we have our own excuses. We've got our own justifications why we don't believe God would ever call us to do the extraordinary. I'm just a lay person. I don't have any Bible training. I've never been to Bible college. God's not going to use someone like me. I'm not worthy. Do you understand the sin that is in my past? God would never use someone like me to do something extraordinary for him. Brent, I've screwed up so many times in my past. My personal history is one of failure after failure. God would quickly pass over me for something extraordinary. I have a past of brokenness. My family is broken. My marriage is broken. My health is broken. My mind is broken. Brokenness is what is in my past. God would never use someone like me to do something extraordinary with or through. And yet we say that and we're happy to land there. And yet the story of the Bible is account after account after account of God taking ordinary people. People with screwed up past, people with huge sin in their background, people from broken backgrounds and using them to do extraordinary things. Gideon, a farmer chosen to deliver Israel. Ruth, a a widow from Moab, chosen to be the great, great, great grandmother of Jesus. David, a, a stinky shepherd boy, chosen to be the king. Disciples who were once fishermen, Paul, called to be an apostle, called to be the the supreme missionary to the Gentiles, formerly a persecutor of Christians. Mary, an unknown, ordinary Jewish peasant girl, chosen to be the mother of Jesus. You know, we think of our superheroes from the Bible 
Don't forget the fact that before they became known, most of them were quite unknown. Before they become somewhat, before they became somebodies, they, they were pretty much nobodies. And in most cases, God miraculously and by His grace saved them from their past, replaced their shame, and gave them the opportunity to do extraordinary things for His glory and for His plan. But you say, well, that's, that's, those are just Bible characters. That doesn't happen anymore. But it does. I think of my own personal story. I came to faith at the age of six through the ministry of an older woman at Crusaders Bible Club camp who dedicated her summers to sharing the good news of Jesus with little boys and girls. I learned most of my Sunday school stories from the janitor of our church who was my Sunday school teacher for many of my years through grade school. I learned what it means to be content despite circumstances and what it looks like to be joyful and to have peace from a woman at the church I grew up uh, at that was so crippled with childhood diseases. You had to try really hard to even understand what she said. I recommitted my life to Jesus at the age of 16 through the ministry of a substance abuser who had given his life to Jesus. And every day, I learn about faith and about grace and about mercy. From a girl who was born to a single mom, adopted by a couple that eventually divorced who pursued happiness and fulfillment down so many wrong paths, but God powerfully saved her. And she became my wife. And I learned every day from someone who the world would say was just ordinary, who I think is extraordinary. And God is used to do extraordinary things. Don't doubt it. God can do extraordinary things and he loves to do it with ordinary people. He calls ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And that's a wonder. Let's carry on with our story. The second cause for wonder. You can just simply title it, Mary, you're going to have a baby. Mary's second cause for wonder is her invitation to partner in the impossible. I think I've shared this before, but I'm going to share it again. Before we had Lauren, who's our first child, we had to go to, I don't know what you call it, pre-birth class. Uh, and so we did the tour of the hospital. And every week for about seven or eight weeks, we had to go to these classrooms. And it was boring uh, I thought it was a great opportunity to catch up on sleep for a few hours. I realized that I wasn't supposed to be the one laying down practicing my breathing techniques while sleeping uh, on the floor of the room, but it was about what I did. But this one week they showed a movie. 
And it caught my attention. And, and what it was, was a movie of what takes place in the woman's body from conception through peg- pregnancy to the moment of childbirth. And I was in awe of this movie. I could not believe what actually takes place inside the woman's body. And, and after the video, um, people were leaving and I went to the, the person who was teaching us or whatever. And I said to her, not realizing that she was a Christian, I said, how anyone can watch that and not believe that there's a God? And how anyone could watch this and, and, and not say that that is a real life inside the woman's body? I, I don't understand. It was a wonder to me. I couldn't comprehend it. But the wonder that Mary must have had at what was going to take place to her takes the cake. I can imagine Mary must have had all sorts. If I was Mary, I can think of some of the, the responses I would have had to Mary or, or to, to Gabriel. Uh, from, okay, who are you and why are you here again? And, okay, explain this again to me. And yet Mary just, she, she's just got one question at this point. Just one little technical detail that she needs to have worked out. Verse 34, Mary says, how will this be? I'm a virgin. How is this going to be? I've never had any sexual relations with a man. How could I possibly give birth? And Gabriel responds, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. In Scripture, it's really the only passage that really explains the virgin birth and it's only about well, 15 words long or however many words that was the agent's going to be the holy spirit the means is going to be the overshadowing and the product is going to be the son of god and there you have it the virgin birth and let's not kid ourselves that's a tough one to comprehend to, to get our head around with. I can't get my head around natural birth and pregnancy. Trying to get our head around the virgin birth is real tough. And so it's understandable from a human perspective why, why some people try to write it off. That it's not realistic to believe in the virgin birth. Uh, that it's not possible, but that's not really what Luke meant by the virgin birth. It's, it's used to describe something a little bit less. And yet the words that Luke uses in the account and the words that Gabriel shares with Mary leave no room. The virgin birth had to have taken place the way that Gabriel has described that it would take place. It isn't a hoax. It isn't a misunderstanding of translation. It's not even just one of the Christmas miracles that God chose to use, but could have chosen not to use. Without the virgin birth, we don't have Christmas. And yet it seems so impossible to our finite minds to get our heads around. Why was it necessary? Why the virgin birth? And, and, And 
this is a sermon on its own. And I'm not going to give it to you. So let me try to do a probably a two or three part sermon in a couple of sentences. If Jesus was not born of a virgin, the Bible is unreliable. Jesus was all mixed up as to who his father really was because Jesus said he was the son of God. And it means that he was the product of an illegitimate union between a young Jewish peasant girl and some guy. We're not really sure who that guy would be. The implications are even worse. Without the virgin birth, we don't have a divine redeemer because there must be a perfect sacrifice for sin. If Jesus is not born of a virgin, then the promise from Genesis 3.15 that the Savior that would come is to be of the seed of the woman. The only time in the Bible that it says anyone is the seed of a woman is talking about Jesus. And without a Redeemer, we don't have a Savior. And without a Savior, we're still in our sin. And if we're still in our sin, we have no hope. That's why the virgin birth is necessary. Mary knew her scriptures. She understood the wonder of pregnancy. If we took the time, Psalm 139, it it talks about the wonder of what God is doing when he's knitting someone together in the womb. Talks about it being wonderful, a mystery. But I can guarantee you one thing. Mary did not wake up that morning anticipating that she was going to be facing the possibility of pregnancy. Especially conceiving as a virgin and giving birth to the Son of God. Called to partner in the impossible. And so what can we take from this second cause? What is the lesson for us to learn? Understand this. Mary did not understand all that was going on. Even in the passage we read about uh, Jesus being presented at the temple, and we're going to look at it next week, Mary is still wondering and pondering. She did not understand every detail of what Gabriel was talking about. But God, through Gabriel, never demanded that Mary had it all figured out. All he asked is that she would believe and that she would submit to partnering in the impossible. And that word submit, it's so easy to say, but we all know to submit is so difficult. If I was Mary, I would have wanted to figure a whole lot more out before I could have believed and submitted. Not to mention the cost. The cost of submitting for Mary was huge. Gone were the wedding plans as she was planning them. Gone was the simple life was Joseph. I mean, possibly gone was Joseph. He had every right to divorce her, uh, to even have her put to death. Those things were gone. And you know what was now present? 
gossip. Gossip about her promiscuity. Rumors of her lies. Can you believe the story Mary is telling? Whispers of what really took place that have carried on for 2,000 years. None of us have been asked to give birth to the Son of God. But in many ways, God calls us to the extraordinary and to the impossible, and He asks us to believe and to submit. Just like He asked Mary. And so Gabriel, realizing that there may be a little hesitation, a little bit of doubt, tells Mary about her cousin, or sorry, her relative, Elizabeth. You know, Elizabeth, who was barren, who was unable to have children, she's pregnant. In fact, she's well along. And Gabriel says something to Mary that's one of the most precious, important verses in the Bible and in the nativity story. Nothing is impossible with God. For no word from God will ever fail. Mary, if God wants to make an old barren woman pregnant, he can. And if God wants to make a virgin pregnant and conceive the Son of God, he can. And if he wants to move the whole Roman Empire so that Mary and Joseph go to Bethlehem to give birth, just as the prophecies have said, he will. And he did. And if he wants to put a star that kind of moves around in the sky, he can and he will. Because he's the God of the impossible. And nothing is impossible for him. And in this story, that gives Mary great affirmation and assurance. And for us in our lives, whatever is impossible that we might be facing, whether it's a spiritual battle, a physical battle, a relational battle, nothing's impossible with God. He asks us to believe and to submit. And then in one of the greatest statements of faith, ever recorded in scripture. And with it, I will end. We see Mary's response. And may this be our response as God calls us to participate in the extraordinary and to partner with him in the impossible. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. And the angel left and Christmas came.